0: Welcome back to Libraryland Loves, I'm Michelle Arbuckle and I'm just going to get right to it because I'm really excited today to be talking about libraries going fine free, a really timely issue that a lot of libraries of all types are currently grappling with and debating and deciding if it's right for their community. It's a topic that I know has been divisive among some boards and has been adopted without issue among others. And I'm really excited to talk to Bessie Sullivan about this issue because I consider her to be a real leader on this topic and in public library land. Bessie Sullivan was the CEO of Halliburton County Public Library from 2009 until 2021 and is currently, since June, the CEO of Aurelia Public Library. She has volunteered with the OLA since 2005 in various capacities, including chairing the advocacy committee and writing for Open Shelf. Bessie feels very strongly about providing excellent library service, including advocating for libraries in a rural setting. She also contributes regularly to her community radio shows, is one of the most incredibly down-to-earth and joyful of people, and she recently wrote an article on libraries going fine-free for the Open Shelf And she's here today to talk to us all about that. So we'll be right back with Bessie Sullivan. Hi, Bessie. Hi, Michelle. I don't think I can live up to that. (laughs) I mean, I'm here to tell you I'm positive that you can. Okay. (laughs) I'm so happy that you could be here today and our second guest of this season. We're very excited to have you. Um, I wondered if you could maybe start off just by telling us a little bit about what things look like in Aurelia. How are things going right now? What does your system and work look like at this stage of the pandemic?
1: Oh dear. Um, I think everybody's really weary. Uh, the staff here is fantastic. Um, I'm finding the community is also fantastic, real library supporters. Uh, so when we've had any kind of conflict in in the building in terms of you know, people who don't want to wear masks or anti-vaxxers. Um, our our patrons seem to come to the staff's defense. So they're never, uh, yeah, and same with on social media. Um, so somebody will make, you know, a negative comment and then a bunch of people will, will leap to our defense. So it's something wow. I've never seen before and it's, it's really quite great. Yeah, so, that is great. Yeah. Good. Yeah, one of our... One of our people um, on the weekend kicked a guy out who wasn't wearing a mask, and um, he left the building complaining about his civil liberties, and patrons in the building said, you can come in if you wear a mask.
0: (laughs) Right, right. That's good to hear that your community is behind you, and uh, and so and your system is open. The libraries are open for people to come yeah, in. Yeah,
1: we're not open at full capacity. Um, mm-hmm. Our hours are slightly reduced. We're not um, expecting people to uh, linger. Really, we haven't opened up our study rooms or our program rooms, uh, so we're definitely not where we want to be. Um, okay. but until we leave step three, I just don't want to do much else.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, it's good to hear that you guys are open as much as you can be and that staff are working with the community. It Sounds Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's talk a little bit about your top five list today. I'm excited. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your early experience um, with fines and when you decided going fine-free was right for your library?
1: Yeah, I've got some guilt over this. Uh, when I first got to Halliburton in 2009, uh, the system did not charge fines. And I was faced with a budget that, uh, we, I back up a little bit, we had two buildings under construction, mm-hmm. uh, and which meant obviously moves from one branch, from the old branch to the new branch. And um, the budget I inherited had no... Um, Capacity for making those moves. Um, So I had to figure out a way really fast to generate some income, and that seemed like a good solution. Uh, At the time, we weren't really... We hadn't... I don't know. I don't know if I want to use this word, but I don't think we were quite as woke as we are now (laughs) about barriers, about um, inequity, um, and frankly, none of that even occurred to me or I never would have done. Uh, So then fast forward to uh, 2020. Um, So my deputy CEO in Halliburton, Aaron Curnahan-Burning, wrote this fantastic report to our board uh, to go fines-free because we both felt um, that it was time to get rid of that barrier. And our budget had evolved enough that we could do that. Right. right. So... um, I guess you know we all make decisions in our careers that may not be great decisions looking back but we only have what we've got to work with in the meantime so
0: yeah so that was the
1: decision I made and here Mm -hmm. we are
0: here we are and the conversation evolves and like you say I mean whether we want to say woke or not at least we're more aware of of the issues and and the impact that of some of these decisions on communities now
1: yeah well if I had to say um, I feel like I've really evolved as a person since my children left home and are out there in the world because I have some time to reflect and to discuss Mm -hmm. with them what's going on in their lives rather than that whole rush of being in a family, managing a household, you know, all this stuff. Um, So I feel like for about, you know, 20 years, I just couldn't look at anything. Right and and now I can and I'm I'm really enjoying that uh, that evolution. Yeah, um, and, and it's interesting. I, I guess there's some confidence to to, to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. because obviously a
0: lot of these discussions are very uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, let's get into this uncomfortable list. I'm ready. Okay. So number
1: <laughs> one reason that you should consider going fines free is you can transform your library from an outdated paternal institute to a collaborative accessible space Love it. so i'm just going to back up to the beginning of my career on this one mm-hmm. and so when i was hired and i was hired in king at the kingston frontenac public library i was hired as a reference librarian so that meant i sat at a desk and people came to me, and I gave out answers. Mm-hmm. And I've come to think of that as it's, it's really not a balanced interaction between two people. Um, and where I've, I see public libraries have evolved is we've gone from being the knowledge keepers or the answer givers to being facilitators in learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a much more balanced way um, to interact with people and it, it makes people equal, more equal. Um, so I think the same can be said for fines. If if we don't have fines, we have a more equal relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the practice of charging fines becomes very punitive, and the people that we are charging fines to um, are the people we end up leaving behind. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's That's where I'd say um, that evolution comes into into play. Um, I do want to read something. So a student from Syracuse University uh, doing the master's program in library science Mm -hmm. uh, wrote this paper I think that a lot of people are using uh, as a basis for uh, making this argument. The paper is called Overdue Fines, Advantages, Disadvantages, and How Eliminating Them Can Benefit Public Libraries. You can Google it. Uh, her name is Sabrina Unreen, Unrein, U-N-R-E-I-N. Um, I just want to read something she said, and I, th- I think it really sums it up for me. And tell me if I'm going on too long. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> So she says, there are several cultural images that are pervasive when it comes to public libraries, many unchanging for decades, unfortunately, One of the most well-known and perpetuated today is that the library is a punitive environment. If you are too loud, you are shushed. If you don't bring items back in time, you must pay a fine. Many of us see these as harmful and outdated ideas. However, these preconceptions cause shame to be closely associated with libraries, despite the fact that we know they are meant to be places of equity. um, we have to break down barriers, and we we yeah. all know this. Um, and but but and I'm going to back up again. I think we also need to accept that uh, librarianship in general is a very privileged profession. Uh-huh. Um, you have to be you have to have the means to get a master's degree. So those are the decision makers, the people with the master's degrees. I think also our boards are very privileged. Um, You know, I can't speak for some place like, you know, Vaughan or Toronto, but the boards I've worked with are predominantly white, predominantly affluent people who can spend the time in an afternoon sitting on a board. Mm
0: -hmm. So when we
1: have those privileged white people, and I would also add older people, because usually it's retired people, Mm -hmm. making decisions. Um, we are not as inclusive as we think we are because those decisions are being made by people who uh, aren't poor or yeah, yeah or aren't disadvantaged, aren't marginalized. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue that eliminating fines um, level the playing field in a lot of ways, but as I said at the beginning at this point, um, I think most importantly because it shifts the balance of power between people. That it should. really
0: is, a you know, it's a bigger conversation than just, um, it's, it's, it's beyond, you know, the idea of revenue or money. It really is about, I hate to use the word brand because I know people get turned off about it, but the brand and the image of the library, and you're right, what people think about it and the number of our people in our communities that see it as punitive, see it as they're out to get me because I have a late or I, a late book, I can't ever go back. It's that, really heartbreaking. And you're right; I think that uh, thinking about it from such a holistic level um, is important. And uh, I'm happy that that's your number one. Tip. Yeah, I, I, it's messaging, right? So, so to yeah. go on to my
1: um, second one, which is number eliminate. Two, yeah eliminate mixed messages. Um, I call this the put your money where your mouth is point. So if we can just um, step back and think about, you know, your library's mandate or vision or mission or purpose or whatever you want to call it, Um, you know, all these expensive consultants that we get to come up with these wonderfully catchy lines and you know really is no different so ours is we are a gathering place to share experience support learning inspire connections and create and create possibilities for everyone mm-hmm. for everyone so we say that we're for everyone that's the message we're sending out but we're not because we relentlessly punish the people who can least afford it yeah. And this is where I have to do the shout out for my daughter um, who just graduated from uh, MSW program, you know, privilege. And um, she, so I asked her all kinds of questions when it, and she started her career as a, a social worker. So I asked her all kinds of questions and we talked about this. And she said, basically, the system of fines is punishing people for being poor. Mm-hmm. Because if I get charged a fine, I don't care. I view it as a donation yeah. to the library. Right. But if if a family has twenty picture books out and goes over the time limit on them, that's that's a huge fine. It and it huge. really racks up the cost. Yeah. Um, so we say we're for everyone, but we're not. Mm-hmm. We're not there for everyone. And so so if we talk talk about the first one as being. Um, something that shifts the balance of power then this point would be the one where we knock down the invisible barriers
0: yeah if that yeah.
1: all makes sense
0: absolutely yeah I think. you're right it, they all it's all aligning the message aligning the messaging with the overall concept of what the library is and making sure that everything well, I think aligns what, yeah
1: <laughs> i think what's happened is we've we've evolved um in We've evolved in what we do. We haven't evolved in what we say. Mm. Maybe that's not quite right either. Um, because we're saying the right things, but it's the underlying structure that's the problem.
0: Yeah. So maybe that's a yeah. better way to describe it. Right. Yeah. It's letting our efforts kind of catch up with each other.
1: Yeah. Like we, 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 we sorry, we truly do want to be for everyone we truly do want to be a a welcoming place that doesn't leave people behind and obviously a family that doesn't have as much wealth as another family is a family that needs us and early literacy is so essential that turning off you know a family is the one of the worst things I think we can do absolutely
0: Yeah. yeah i like to believe that we all think that the library is for everyone so I hope that is the case yeah
1: well, and we both know that the marginalized have had a lot of trouble in libraries through the years because we keep insisting that they have fixed addresses.
0: Yes. And that's, I
1: think, another problem. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. okay, so number three. Number three. Uh, fine revenue is trending down anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: everybody knows this. Um, so it's, it's trending down for lots of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Digital collections is a huge one. You yep. can't you can't be overdue on a digital collection; it, di- it disappears. So, integrated library systems (ILSs) get more and more sophisticated. So, there's lots and lots of ways that people can be reminded about their stuff coming due. So, phone, text, email, whatever they choose, and then a lot of people can manage their library account from home. Uh, just as a just as an aside, while I was thinking about this. I realized that this is yet another example of inequity because fine payments are only decreasing for people who have access to technology. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yes. Right? Right. So
1: so it's not the person who takes out the book. It's not the person who doesn't have email on record. Mm -hmm. Anyway. um, Yeah. So I think the natural decrease in uh, fine revenue actually has given us a really great opportunity. And this will harken back to that article that I was talking about, um, where she talks about how uh, it's a really good time to start donation campaigns because Mm -hmm. there are people out there who truly did view um, library fines as their donation to the library. Right, right. So if they want to donate, you need to give them a place to donate. So I think that's sort of, you know, then you're asking the people who can afford it Mm -hmm. to do the donating rather than the people who can't. Interesting. You're right.
0: That was a huge argument for, for so many years is, well, fines are part of our revenue line. So what do we replace it with? And so it's, it's interesting now to see that, well, it's on the decrease anyway. So you've got to come up with a new, a new model to replace it.
1: Yeah, and I think you know how when you do the pay as you can or um, any yeah. of those kind of things, and it's actually been found that there's more revenue when people mm-hmm. assess what they value, how they value the the thing that they're doing uh, for themselves, rather than being told they have to pay a set fee. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be interested to see how that all works out. Yeah. Um, I've started working on uh, some posters. Actually, they're in the article, you know, on in Open Shop. But things like, you know, uh, are you sad that you're no longer paying fines? You can donate. Right. Yeah. Because there are right. actually people out there who are. <laughs> and that also um, actually is a great segue into the next one um, about collections.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so... Actually, not charging fines has been found to act, have a positive effect on collections. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people are not faced with the uh, negative reprisal, they actually return items more. Um, right. And because you're getting so much more of your collection back, there's, there's a reduction in replacement costs of items. Mm-hmm. Um, and some libraries, and this is back to your point, have even discovered that people are more willing to take responsibility for a book that they've destroyed or lost because it's not piled on with the other uh, other aspects of fines. So it's like just one thing. Yeah, I dropped this in the tub. I am responsible rather than that fear of that relentless fine kind of shadow hovering over you. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. so I, I'm gonna wait and see how that pans out too. Mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. the if the um, replacement costs get go up in terms of people taking responsibility for them.
0: yeah, for sure. yeah. i I'm not sure if um, you saw there was a thread going around this morning on Twitter. I don't know for how many days it's been going, but it was from a Facebook library management group talking about a library who was considering hiring off-duty police to go around and collect overdues from people's houses because of, you know, I could see where it was coming from, but it was lots of people were commenting on, you know, the misguided efforts there. But it made me think because this person was referring to disappearing hotspots. And so for items in the library that do have a bigger cost associated with them, like technology or you know, I don't even know. I'm sure there are some materials that aren't books that people are loaning that cost a lot to replace. I'm just wondering, I mean, do you have thoughts on on a different approach for them? Or should we just be considering them all the kind of same, you know, the issue applies no matter what the material?
1: I think it applies no matter what the material. You know, I I know that technology is expensive, but when I worked in Halliburton, and we were able to get some iPads. For some people in the community, that was the only exposure they had to technology at all, was mm-hmm. coming in and using our, our equipment. And we did have a situation where somebody left a pencil in the iPad and then shut it and the screen shattered. Um, so we just replaced the screen because really we felt like the overall positive from having that equipment was more important than, you know, making somebody responsible for it. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, you do get arguments about that, that it's taxpayer dollars paying for all this stuff. And, you know, how can we just give it all out for free? Yeah. Um, I've heard people say that if libraries were invented now, they would never actually exist. Because when you think about it, they're an incredibly socialist, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they're built on a socialist philosophy that everyone should have access to this stuff. So I find that really an interesting concept.
0: It is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That point that you just made about the exposure being the net benefit of the exposure is worth more than the cost to the library, I think is such an important point and such a hard one to swallow for some people. Um, but that's, that's it in the, that's the essence of it. Do you know?
1: Yeah. Um, if we go back to that study that the um, Toronto Public Library Foundation did where they actually quantified the economic value, um, for every dollar spent on libraries, public libraries, what they generated in economic value. And for Toronto, it was like $5 for every dollar spent. And uh, the smaller the community gets, the higher the value is uh, Mm -hmm. because of the lack of resources. Um, So I mean, I think some of them are uh, upwards of $7 for every dollar spent. Um, I don't know why we haven't been able to convince This the higher up decision makers, um, because libraries are consummately underfunded, consummately um, asking Mm -hmm. for what they need and not getting it, Um, and yet we understand that there's an economic value there. So
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: guess we just keep fighting the good fight. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay. All right, that takes
0: us to number five. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this is um, actually really interesting, but fines are not cost effective.
0: This is a fascinating, the stats you had around this point are really interesting. Well, I have to thank Hamilton
1: Public Library for that one. Mm -hmm. Um, They wrote this fantastic report. Uh, You can, I don't know if you can find it by Googling, but um, I can always supply it if people want it. Um, So they determined couple years ago that it costs slightly more in staff wages to administrate the collection of fines than you actually make in fine revenue. Right. Um, So how can that possibly be, right? So I did some math, you know, everybody get out of the way, I'm gonna math. Um, Get your pencils ready, here we go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, so I broke down their numbers, basically. And, and, now, I have to plug my son. He checked my math. Good, um, good. You know, shame, shameless child plugs. Um, so for every $100 taken in in fines, it costs five hours of staff time. And the average transit, transaction of money is 95 cents. So, again, when you do the math, it means that there's 105 potentially negative patron-staff interactions required to bring in a hundred bucks yeah Wow. so yeah yeah so you're taking up five hours of somebody's time Mm -hmm. and you're doing 105 potentially negative interactions absolutely so that's a lot of bad press (laughs) when you're trying to be there for everyone and um, welcome people back and Mm -hmm. you know
0: um, and tout the fact that you're a free resource in the community, and we use this word all the time—that we're a free resource. Free
1: resource. Well, we're not free for everyone, um, mm-hmm. as we have established. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, I believe that Hamilton's actually been able to reduce staff. Now, that's that's a tough argument because I, I think in their case they they were okay, they could afford it. They have you know 500 employees. Um, that's not something we would want to do here but what we would want to do is free up that time so that we can actually do do customer service. Other things. Yeah, Yeah. like things we're trained to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, And it's also been proven that when you don't have all of that stuff, the interaction of the fines, the threat of the fines, Um, everybody, staff and people using your building, um, can actually learn more about what the library does because they don't have that psychological barrier.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there, those are my five.
0: Uh, Thank you so much. I'm so happy that, you know, we're using a... We're citing a paper from a graduate student. We've got your social worker daughter commenting. <laughs> I'm really glad that we're including point. all this data from libraries. It's great. Yeah. I'm curious to know, you know, you talked a bit earlier about the makeup of our boards and, you know, how that, along with this profession, reflects a certain whiteness and a certain amount of privilege. What does this conversation look like? Do you Do you get a sense of what this looks like right now with boards? Or is there a vibe that... Um, you know, people are are going along with this idea, or do you find that it's still a bit of a battle in libraries?
1: It's probably gonna be the same evolution that we're talking about for libraries, where we're saying the right things, but we're not actually doing the right things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the board here is very committed to, to diversity, but if you looked at them, you wouldn't think so. Um, right. I, I think, and then part of it's the logistics of, again, attracting people that can spare the time
0: yeah. uh,
1: who aren't, you know, working two jobs to support a family or, um, you know, our board meetings are at 3.30 in the afternoon. What does that tell you? Mm-hmm. We don't welcome people who hold down jobs. Um, so I think it's the same mixed messaging that I, I, think, I think we're going to have to examine the whole foundation uh, really you know who are the decision makers um how do we include people that don't fit into that particular um, i don't know class- classification of people
0: yeah um yeah yeah i think i mean this is honestly a tip of an iceberg and i think that uh finds are part of it but this is a, a scary and also exciting time to be in librarianship because we're rethinking so many of our values the way we've done things um and yeah. I think right now everyone's wondering you know where do we have an opportunity to do things differently and look at things from a perspective that isn't our own and uh so thank you for bringing this topic to library land today I'm I'm happy that we could talk about it and I hope that uh People will follow up if they're thinking about getting rid of their fines. I know there's been a lot of people trying to talk to their boards and convince them to you know make, think about things differently so I'm glad that there's people like you out there doing it. Thanks. It's been really fun today. Well we're not letting you go, oh, just uh, oh, just oh. so you know. <laughs> um, we are adding a new segment to Library Land Loves and Bessie's going to be our guinea pig and we okay. to do that when we'll be right back. So with our fourth year of the podcast, we are adding a new segment finally. I know many of you tune in for my hard-hitting journalistic approach to the issues of Library Land. You see, we can't even say that without laughing. But I like to think that an equal number, if not more of you, are curious about the guest. So, based on my love of both Brene Brown and James Lipton, I have ripped off a series of rapid-fire questions that I think will help uh, you and me to get to know our guest a little bit more and give us some insight into what makes them tick as a human. So, here we go. Are you ready, Bessie? I'm ready. All right. What is something people often get wrong about you? I, I think that I, they think I'm an extrovert. I'm not mm-hmm. an extrovert.
1: <laughs> But I guess I'm passionate enough about what I do that I, I play the part.
0: You make the effort.
1: I make well. I say I
0: play one on TV. (laughs) You're an introverted extrovert clothing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. What is the last TV show you binged and loved? Um, Great great British Bake Off, and I'm currently making my way through every season. It's so beautiful. It's it wonderful. feels so, I know. It's Do you know, food. I don't, I don't know if you're on Instagram, but the artist that draws all the pictures of yeah, the food yeah, is yeah, on Instagram. Yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. Highly recommend that follow because, if you're out Because
1: the food doesn't always look like the, the drawing. No, it
0: does not. <laughs> it does not, but they, they try so hard. I love it. Mm. Uh, what is a concert you'll never forget?
1: Um, Blue Rodeo. And I mm. saw them in a really small venue and, well, I've seen them many, many times because I'd say they're my favorite band, but um, yeah. which I'm, I guess I'm dating myself. Uh, no. But I saw them in a small venue in Peterborough uh, with my brother and um, some friends, and it was really wonderful.
0: Oh, yeah. you know that Jim Cuddy goes to my grocery store? No. And even in a mask, I'm telling you, I could I can spot him a mile away. I'd that jawline. Embar- you can spot it. Yeah, I'd be
1: embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. What is your favorite meal?
1: Okay, toss up between pizza and
0: hamburger. Hamburgers. Oh, you're a classic girl. Classic. I yeah,
1: love it. but yeah, many people who know me say food is my favorite.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great. You're a woman of little requirement. <laughs> Do you want to give a shout out to a type of pizza, or you're just you'll take whatever? I'll speed. take whatever. There's
1: pizza today
0: at work. That's really exciting because I don't have to eat my lunch. (laughs) Pizza Friday. Um, All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? So I'd like to be a pharmacist. Um, Mm. I just find that whole
1: aspect of of medicine and health really fascinating. What I would hate about being a pharmacist is the hours. Those people work, you know, evenings,
0: weekends. So that part wouldn't be so great. And you can tell from the shoes that they wear that they're standing a lot. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, they are. yeah. Uh I don't know if it's this one, but what is a profession you would not want to attempt? Teaching. <laughs>
1: <Ooh>. <laughs> I think those people are saints. Yeah. I don't think you couldn't pay them enough to do that job as far as I am concerned. 100%. And I am just so grateful that there were people out there to teach my kids and it wasn't me.
0: Yeah, yeah, Ditto. Yeah. Um, what is your idea of happiness?
1: Okay, this is going to be like the obvious one for everyone, but a good book. And oh. it seriously is. Yeah. And yeah. I do have to, I, I have to come back to the books. Um, even though we're talking about all the things we were talking about prior to this segment. Um, mm-hmm. Really, we are about the books. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there a book that recently you can remember that really brought you the happiness?
1: Not so much happiness, but I just read a book by Sarah Winman, who's the same person who wrote um, When God Was a Rabbit, called Tin Man. It is the single most um, emotionally uh, mature book I have. It was just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it's not um, happy necessarily, but just an absolutely beautiful look at grief and friendship and love. Um, I was just, I was like moved for the entire book.
0: Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What was that one called again?
1: So it's called Tin Man by Sarah Winman. Okay. That's great. Mm -hmm.
0: I also just like the idea of books as happiness, you know, just be, I'd, I also just love being around books. One of my first jobs was at Elgin County Library and I would get the, um, you know, the shipment in from library bound or whomever on, on the Friday and, and just opening up the boxes and sorting through the books and, you know, figuring out who had to go to what library loan and all of, just being surrounded by the new shipment of books is such a happy feeling for me. I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next question. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? So uh, what
1: really turns me on is getting things done, but getting things done with a creative, uh, self-driven team. Yes. And uh, that happens here a lot, which is really
0: exciting. Oh, that's so good. Such a good vibe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. People who feel empowered to take something and run, and then we get a good product, and it's just that's
0: just great. It's one of those, I couldn't agree more. And it's one of those things that I've found so hard to mimic or, or achieve during remote work. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. so, so difficult to get a fully engaged, you know, energetic team that wants to contribute creatively. We actually just had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and we all left at the end being like, that was it. We got the buzz. Like that was the thing we've been trying to find. And yeah, I love that. Yeah, That's great. For sure. Okay, sorry. Next question. I keep interjecting <laughs> my own here. Um, what turns you off?
1: Mean people. Yeah. And and, and lack of empathy and, and kindness. Um, yeah. And you know, I know we're all using this term kindness, and I don't want to turn it into something trite. But, you know, when mm-hmm. people wear T-shirts that say kindness matters and mean people um, suck. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we have to we have to live it, and that's another. It's another difficult conversation, and that's another discomfort. Um, Surprisingly, kindness is not our default. Um, It's it's hard work, and it's hard work to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and to um, remember that they have something going on in their lives that you know nothing about. Um, All that stuff takes a lot of time and energy, and it's not our natural inclination. uh, But... I'm starting to feel like if you're not working on kindness, you've really missed the plot. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah.
0: Couldn't be a more timely thing right now, as kind of the curse of individualism is the downfall of society. Uh, um,
1: absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you know, my husband uses a phrase often when we're talking about this kind of thing, but it's for the greater good. Is mm-hmm. what you're doing for the greater good? And I mean, and you're right, it's like in politics and uh, just what we're watching in terms of what's happening with the pandemic is your actions for the greater good. And if they're not, you really need to examine them.
0: Yeah, I think. Great, absolutely. All right, last rapid fire. One thing that you're grateful for right now?
1: That's really a hard question. I am grateful for so many things. Well, that's Um, a good spot to be in. Um, The thing that I am most grateful for is my family. Mm -hmm. And obviously I've managed to slip in my husband and my two children. And um, (laughs) we all have a um, a Facebook Messenger group chat. And so we just chat all the time. We're in three different, well, four different cities now. Um, And uh, we do group chat like often. There's a lot of cat pictures. Everybody's got a cat.
0: Um, but I was just about to say the pets haven't made it in yet, but we got them. We got, got them. we got the pets. Now we need their
1: names. (laughs) Um, no, uh, my husband and I have talked about this a lot and that is, uh, our children like us and they like being around us. And I don't know. It's a blessing, man. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it just shows you've done something right. I don't know about that, but. I, I, think, I think it's all a crapshoot, but uh, yeah. yeah, we're just really yeah. lucky.
0: Bessie, I'm grateful that you were here today and I'm grateful that you're in library land and doing all the things that you're doing and uh, that you're leading an organization like Aurelia. I think they're lucky to have you. Uh, say hi to everyone over there because I haven't seen anyone from Aurelia in a while. So shout out to Aurelia, some great people up there. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for your time today, Bessie. It was great to see you. Thanks. That is all the time we have for today. Thanks so much to Bessie Sullivan for joining us. And please check out her article in this month's Open Shelf, the publication of OLA. I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes, along with a few of the other resources that Bessie mentioned today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Libraryland Loves. Please don't forget to drop me a line if there's something you'd like to talk about. My contact information will be linked in the show notes, and I would love to hear from Take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week.